Well, good morning, church family, and uh, welcome back. We're thankful for the, the wonderful praise and worship music that we've enjoyed with Kyle and Macy Tanner. And uh, we just, uh, I'm so thankful for you tuning in today. Um, you know, we're going to continue on in our study in James, the book of James. And um, James has a lot to say, and it's very practical. And um, I just want to encourage you in that as we go through this to continue reading in, in the book of James. Uh, last week we talked about enduring temptation and um, how we can do that, how we can uh, make sure that we endure to the end. Um, and today we're going to be talking about the power uh, of, of the Word of God. And, um, you know, I just want to ask you a question real quick. Um, have you ever tried to paint anything? Like maybe a wall, maybe, you know, your, your interior of your house, exterior, maybe a car, um, just to paint something? Um, really what I want to say here is, is, you know, the hardest part of any paint job is the prep work involved before you paint. Um, the better the prep work, the better and more lasting the paint job will last. See, it's the same way in our lives when we are receiving truth. Without any preparation work, we simply whitewash our lives with, with knowledge which we quickly forget, it peels back, and it reveals that we have an unchanging character underneath. All we've done is put a paint job on there and it's really not adhered to our life. But in the book of James, we want to read uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 through 25. And uh, James, the, the brother of Jesus, the uh, bishop of the church in Jerusalem, he writes this, he says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. And we just uh, we ask God that you would guide us in it, and uh, Father, that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts as we as we look into your Word and as we look into the mirror of your Word. I pray that you would show us where we fall short of your glory, Father, that we would you, we would confess those areas to you, and that we would respond to the Word that we've heard. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. And uh, we just ask that you would bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, James, 
He had seen too many Christians who had basically just slapped God's truth onto their lives without properly preparing themselves so that it would indeed stick. I mean, how do we prepare ourselves for the word of truth? Notice what James says here. How do we receive the word of truth? He says there, he says, But know this, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. So he says this, he says, with an open ear, this is how we prepare to receive the truth, with an open ear, with a controlled tongue, with a calm spirit, and with a clean heart. Those four ways are the ways that we receive the truth from God. Many times we come and we're not prepared to receive the truth. And so it's just like slapping a coat of paint on there that's going to peel away fairly quickly. There's nothing prepared to receive that paint. And so when we talk about receiving the word of truth, the word of God, we have to be prepared for that with an open ear, controlled tongue, calm spirit, and a clean heart. You know, the Bible is no ordinary book. And I want to talk about the power of the word of God. Um, it is the product of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who put these words into the minds and the hands and the pens of men to write them down. And so it's, the, it's a product of the Holy Spirit uh, who is the one who convicts us of our sin, the, the exposer, if you will, of our sin. But the Holy Spirit is also the regenerator, excuse me, the regenerator of our spirit. He's the one who causes the new birth. He's the one who brings us an awareness of, of where we are at. And he leads us and guides us into all truth. But he's also the sanctifier of our soul. The one who sets us apart. The one who guides us in that. So he's the exposer. He's the regenerator. And also the sanctifier. So it all begins and ends with the Holy Spirit and understand that the power in the Word of God comes from the Holy Spirit. That's why He can convict us of our sin. See, the Word of God is living. It's living, breathing Word. And in Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 12, tells us that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the, the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's huge. Because it means that God's word is active, it's living, it's the living word. And it, it speaks to us over and over and over again. And we can never have enough of the word of God. And I love this because we're talking about uh, God's Word, His love letter to us, and how the Holy Spirit uses that in our lives. You see, the Word, His Word is, is, is breathed in. It's, it's, I want to say it's inbreathed with the life of God. In other words, it has God's life in it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I know these, each one of these passages could be a sermon in and of itself. But I think that, that as we look at these, um, it helps us to understand how important and how powerful the Word of God is. First, it said like it was, it was living, it's breathing, it's like a two-edged sword. Um, this one says, all Scripture is inspired or God-breathed by God and profitable for teaching, uh, 
for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I mean, God's Word does that. It's inbreathed with the life of God. It is, it is something that, that he, His breath is in that, and it, it speaks to us. And it's, it's profitable for, for instruction and reproof and correction and, and training in righteousness. We, we need to understand that this is God's Word to us. And I think that's, that's, that's huge. That's very important. I love what Second Peter says. Now, Peter walked with Jesus, and he writes this in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. He says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. We could just stop right there. The prophecy that we have is, is, was put together by the Holy Spirit, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So, so Scripture has God's life in it. It's, it's His breath. It's His Word. And it comes alive and it's, 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 it's to us. But the Word is also filled with the power of God. I love this because over in Isaiah, going back into the Old Testament, Isaiah verse 55, chapter 55, verses 10 and 11, it says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the, the eater, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. See, the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is living. And it, 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 it is so powerful. You think about how the rain uh, soaks the earth and, and how it brings flowers and grass and trees back to life. You know, the recent showers that we've had, I feel like all of my backyard and my, my garden and my trees all just bit, you know heaved a big sigh of relief. It was kind of like... <sighs> and I, I think that's what all creation does and even as God's word soaks in, we recognize the power and the nourishment that we receive from God's word. You know, we talk about the Holy Spirit being the exposer of sin. You know, over in Romans, um, Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You see, the Holy Spirit gave us the law so that we could recognize the sin in our life and it convicts us of the sin that, that so easily trips us up. And when we read God's word, we recognize that, that it, it, it reveals the sin in our life. But notice what James says also, and I, I know there's a lot of scripture here, and I'm going to talk about some of that in just a moment, but um, it, it has the power to convert the human heart. In verse 18, it says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. 
And then in verse 21, it says, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So the power in the word of God not only convicts us of our sin, but it allows us to come to Christ and, in order, and, and to be saved by him. And, and I think that's huge because it not only convicts our heart, but it, it converts our soul and helps us with that new birth. See, verse 19 is very interesting as well. You know, in diagnosing our claims to Christianity, uh, James goes immediately to the practical issue of a Christian's behavior. That's right, I'm talking about what we do, our behavior, especially in our relationships. See, he talks about listening. He talks about having, um, being slow to hear, excuse me, quick to hear and slow to speak. So listening is a relational action. It has to do with our relationships, not only to God, but to one another. So listening is a relational action. Speaking is also normally a relational action. I mean, although some people have conversations, you know, even maybe when nobody's there, and then we begin to wonder about them, you know, kind of talking to themselves. But normally speaking is a relational matter. Anger is also a relational response. An emotional response in the context of a relationship. And James goes right to these. And he says these things must be evidence of the reality of the new birth. You're listening. You're speaking. Your your anger, your emotions. All of these have to give evidence that you have been reborn. See, I think this is huge. Because we tend to think that we can get by on saying this or, or not listening to someone, especially God, when he speaks his word to us. See, in other words, what I'm trying to say is in the Christian life, the evidence of the new birth is a new life. To say, I've been born again and show no transformation, to show no new life out of that, means that you're probably not really saved. See, the life that, that, that he gives is transformational. And all of these things are very practical in what James is saying. Our speech ought to give evidence of a new life. Our listening ought to be evidence of a new life. The control of our emotions, our emotional disposition, our temperament ought to reflect the new life. That's what James is saying. It's not just adding Jesus, adding Christianity to everything you've always been doing. There's actually a change that takes place in the life of a new believer. See, James here, his calling for an integrated spirituality. An integrated spirituality in which church and family worship and accountability with partners and, and Bible study are the means to help you live the Christian life in Christ and to be able to see your Christianity in your character on the inside and on the outside, in your character and in your relationships. And he picks an example, one example to diagnose a Christian life which is out of whack. And you see it in verse 20. And he says this, he says, The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. 
Now, he could have chosen other things, but I think this one speaks to so many of us. You know, we fly off the handle, we get angry, but it does not achieve the righteousness of God. See, our inappropriate anger reveals a heart condition that is opposite of God's righteous plan for us. His plan is to transform us by grace. And anger, which is out of control and inappropriate, is a sign that something's deeply wrong. Our emotional life, our speech, the way we listen, our relationships, all of these things provide an indication of our own Christ-likeness. They are a test of our true and real godliness. They show us, I want to say, the, the state of our Christianity. Are we really following Christ? See, we, we, we hear all these voices in our nation today. We hear all these voices on the street that are angry, they're outraged, and it shows us that there is not the relationship with Christ. There is not the lordship of Christ in these lives. Don't be upset when lost people act like lost people. James is talking to believers. He's saying we must exhibit these qualities if we are truly born again. It shows the evidence of our Christ-likeness when we are uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Folks, laying aside all that filthiness and having a clean heart, all of these things are really what it matters when it comes to our, our obligation, if you will, to Christ Jesus. I think this is huge. See, we need to, I would say we must receive the implanted word in humility. That's what he says in verse 21. He says, therefore, laying aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. You know, there's a certain aspect of humility in our consideration here. You know, as we stoop or bow to consider God's word, we have to humble ourselves before him. God is not for the proud. We must humble ourselves. There must be a certain aspect here of humility in our consideration. The first principle to see uh, God's word grow in our lives involves very carefully being rich soil. Okay? If the word is going to be implanted in our lives, we need to have rich soil. The opposite of that is a soil that has no nutrients in it. A very, uh, a, I want to say, a, a, a depraved soil, a, a, soul, a soil of poverty. One that you couldn't grow anything in. And, and, and when we have a, a rich soil, one that has lots of nutrients and things in it, then the, the word will thrive in our life. We also need to, the second involves to be an unencumbered soil. In other words, we need to be available. A lot of times we have so many attachments in our lives that, that we don't allow the Word of God to be implanted uh, in, in, in the soil of our heart. And the third involves being a soft soil. 
you know, being one that's plowed and ready to receive the word. And so what happens is, is if we're not rich soil, the opposite of these things, if we're not rich soil, if we're encumbered, and and if we are um, hard, then we won't receive the word of God. So we need to be rich, uh, we need to be ready, we need to, to be unencumbered, and we need to be uh, pliable, ready for God to implant his word. All of this has to do with humility. Because if we enter God's presence with, with, with our own pride and based on our own righteousness, he hates pride. But I really, <laughs> I love the Old Testament. I love the words that, that God tells us. See, there's always a tendency in us to evaluate God's word and decide whether or not we will obey it. We tend to decide that. We, we think right away, either I'm going to do that or I'm not going to do that. How arrogant and proudful can we be? But God tells us that the one who trembles at his word is the one he looks at. Look at Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. It says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? Where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Do you want God to see you? Practice those things. Loving His Word, trembling at His Word, being in humility and contrite, bringing a contrite spirit before Him, a broken spirit. Not a prideful spirit, not an angry spirit. You want God to see you, to see where you're at? He says, these are the ones to whom I look. In humility, contrite spirit, and who tremble at my Word. See, as we think about our lives and as we think about what James is saying here, we must allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate, to plow in us the attitude of a willing learner as when it comes to, to being involved in God's Word. Sometimes we think, well, I've already read it. I already know what it says. No, you don't. It's His living Word. It's His powerful Word. Allow the Holy Spirit to plow that field and to plant it in your word, because that has the ability to save our souls. You know, there was a, a peddler one time who went from door to door selling his goods. He was, he was knocking on doors and he was trying, to, trying to, to, to make a living. And he was met by a believer who knew him. And, and uh, after the usual greeting, the, the believer said to him, Man, it's a great thing to be saved. It's a great thing to be saved. And and, and the peddler said, yes, it is. But I know something better than that. Better than being saved, the fellow said. He said, what could be possibly be better than, than, than that? And he said, having a friendship with the one who saved me. You see, it's that intimate relationship that Christ is after. And I think that's important for us to hear. Because sometimes we think as long as we're saved, but we don't have a relationship with Christ. We've bought some fire insurance. 
We walked the aisle. We confessed him. But on that day, will he say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your, the glory of your master. Or is he going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, it's important that we have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. God's word is powerful to sanctify, to set apart the believer. That's what it says in verse 20, 21. It says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. See, after James addresses our conversation around others, he turns his focus to the word of God and our obligation to it. And he uses a very familiar object to illustrate the word. He calls it a mirror. And we're all familiar with mirrors. We know they've they always reveal that true depiction, if you will, unless they're the one of those funny mirrors, you know, that, that either makes us larger or makes us look funny or that kind of thing. But normally a mirror re- reveals a, a very accurate depiction of what it is looking at and, the, and the, the person or the object within the view. But God's word serves as a mirror to our soul. It reveals to us what is actually there. Not what we wish was there, or even what we perceive might be there. It's what It reveals what is actually there. The mirror of God's Word will read us. <laughs> As we read God's Word, His Word reads us. And the key to this mirror is our response to what it reveals. I mean, we can accept what we see and we can seek to improve on it or we can deny the true result and seek to hide or or cover up what is actually there. Clearly, we will discover it is in our best interest to respond honestly to the genuine assessment that the Word of God reveals. James also says that the word of God is effective when it's applied. Verses 22 through 25, he says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. You know, taking that paint analogy that I started with just a bit further, you know, I have a pair of painting jeans in my closet at home, and whenever I paint something, usually a, a room or some of the trim in our house, I wear the, these, these jeans. They definitely show the wear and the tear of the abuse that I give them with the paint, because <laughs> sometimes I'm not so good at keeping the paint on the wall. Um, but the jeans have spots of, of light tan on them, and they have uh, the, the, the blotches of white paint from all the trim in my house, and there are a few other colors mixed in that are displayed, you know, examples of the work I've been involved with. But the jeans are the visible proof of what I've accomplished. 
They are something that people can see. I mean, we have seen that faith is lived out when we face the trials and the temptations in our life. And when we endure those, our faith is lived out and seen before others. When we deal with such difficulties, we need to have our genes on because we need durable and practical faith instead of a merely Sunday clothes that we wear that look really nice but are fragile and vulnerable when put to the test. You see, our genes are the visible proof that our faith has been tested and found real. James calls us to live out our faith in a very practical and real way as we walk through this world. As we bring our lives into line with the message of Jesus Christ, we show the reality of our relationship to the one who made us and who knows us best. Living in the midst of his will, we live with our genes on. As we're living by his word and in his will. You know, if we hear the word of God and we don't do the word of God, we're deluded. We're, we're living in a fantasy world. We're deluding ourselves. You know, in this part of the letter, James now speaks about how essential it is that we allow God's word to impact our lives. In these verses, he's dealing with the, the whole matter of doing God's word and putting it into practice, what it says. But we can't do what we have first not received. Let me put that in a positive way. In order for us to do, we have to first receive. And that's what he's talking about. We receive God's word, so then we must do God's word. But we can't do what we haven't received. So he tells us how to receive the word of God so that the word of God can transform us and so that we can put the word of God into practice. See, many of us have abundant copies of the Word of God. We also hear it taught in church, maybe in Sunday school, maybe in our small groups, on the radio, on the television, or on the internet. We have lots of tools and helps to, to study it and help understand it. And we hear the Word of God in abundance. And yet many of us still suffer from the same old problems over and over and over again. And it seems as if all of our access to God's word isn't doing us any good. Or at least not the good that it seems like it should. So it made me ask the question, why is that? With all this access to the word of God, why is it that we still seem to keep doing the same things over and over and over again? And James answers that for us as well. Because he says the problem is not with the word. The problem is with us. That's exactly what he says. The problem is with us. There's a difference between hearing God's word and properly receiving it. So few have access to God's word uh, that, that receive it properly so that it can be have the impact that God desires. We have access but we don't receive it properly because we're not, we haven't prepared the surface for it. We haven't prepared the soil of our heart to receive God's word. And so then when God's word comes, it's not implanted and we haven't received it the way we, we needed to.
But the problem isn't with God's word. It's with us. See, we must give priority to hearing God's word. God isn't looking for activists who don't know his word. Nor is he interested in hearers who know the word but do nothing. See, to hear the word and to do the word brings God's blessings. Verse 25 said, blessed is the man who does that, who hears God's word and acts upon it and does it. You know, I heard something that was once said about a famous pastor from the Seattle area. He used to do a lot of of youth work and and work with inner city youth. And some of the young people he worked with once asked him uh, how he memorized scripture. And this is what he said. He says, I don't try to memorize it. I just get up and obey it. Personally, I think that's the way to get God's word permanently embedded in your mind and in your heart is to get up and to do what it says. See, that's what James is talking about. (laughs) You know, that's the best translation of the Bible, by the way, when the Bible gets translated into action. That's what we need, is we need more action from God's people. And it's only... It's not only what James talked about, but it's also what our Lord himself taught. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. First, you've got to hear the word. Then you've got to believe the word. And then you got to behave the word. you got to do the word. See, spiritual life is not like the work of a moment. Spiritual life is the work of a lifetime. And James is calling us in this passage to grow in grace and to, to manifest, to display the new life. And, and not to display it in one private part of our life, but in all of life, display God's word in your life. Why does he choose to talk about these things? I'm almost through. Because it's in these things, not in our quiet time, not in our small group, not even in our Sunday morning attendance, in the pews or at home, not even there do we see the measure of our Christianity. But it's in our life. It's in our character. It's in our responses to others. It's in our relationships that we see true Christianity, true Christ-likeness. See, spiritual life is not something to be practiced privately. You can say, oh yeah, I had my quiet time this morning, but what did you do out on the street today? Because that's what other people see. They don't see you at home in your Bible in the Word. What they see is when you're standing there blowing a gasket at the cashier in Walmart. That's what they see. That's where James is saying we need to live it out right there. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Put away all the filthiness. See, it's in that time 
Not when we're doing our quiet time, not our family devotion, not with our small group or accountability partners or off on a retreat somewhere. Spiritual life is woven into the fabric of who we are. It's not done on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. It is visible in all of our waking hours and in every relationship of life. In other words, it's totally integrated, woven into the whole of our being. See, the Christian life is a recognition that we do not have within ourselves the energy or the power or the ability to change ourselves. We need to look somewhere else. And the only somewhere else to look for that is in Jesus and in his cross. See, it's when we renounce our ability to try and change ourselves that we run to him for the grace that he gives to change us, that we find salvation and the grace that transforms our life into something that is Christ-like and pleasing to our Lord. See, any teacher, any preacher may give an eloquent address on the gospel. Or maybe they explain the Old Testament prophecy about Christ extremely well. But understand this. When the sermon is done, it's not done. Something remains to be done by the hearers in real time. And if we're content with a warm, fuzzy feeling or with enjoying a sentimental or rational delight, well then you shouldn't even think that that is real Christianity. Christ calls us to real, practical, visible, committed, intentional action in our world as we love God, love others, and serve the world. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all that you are doing. I pray, Father, that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Holy Spirit, I ask that in the time that remains that you would speak to our hearts, convict us, expose our sin, help us to come in humility before Jesus Christ. And Father, that we would desire more of you and less of us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you for guiding us. And it's in Jesus' name.